0: Well, welcome to the first of the IMAP Independent Thought podcast series. The Independent Thought program is about giving portfolio managers involved with managed accounts an opportunity to raise, discuss, talk about issues that are important in the management of managed account portfolios. Independent Thought's got three components. This podcast series, the roundtables which we run about six times a year and leading into an annual conference where portfolio managers from licensees, asset consultants and and, and the people involved in managing managed account portfolios um, have an opportunity to, to meet and talk. So today we're going to be talking about the implementation of ETFs. They're a critical part of managed account development. ETFs and managed accounts have grown um, in lockstep, really, and now, coincidentally, each accounts for about 14% of the fund in the other. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Lucas De Pourbe. Lucas is an executive director and CIO of Lonsec Investment Solutions, and by Peter Harper, executive director, capital markets for Beta Shares. We're going to be talking about the use of ETFs, implementation issues uh, and the problems that can can arise uh, as managed account portfolios grow larger. So, Lucas and Peter, welcome to today's podcast. Lucas, let's start with you. Um, What use is made of of ETFs in managed accounts Um, and is this changing as the thumb grows?
1: Yeah, in terms of the use, I mean, I sort of want to think about it you know, there's probably three main uses, right? So one is to reflect a uh, asset location, whether it's a strategic asset location uh, view. Um, secondly, it could be reflected to reflect a, a dynamic asset or a tactical asset view. So, for example, at the moment, we we do have a positive view on emerging markets and, and we have reflected that via uh, an ETF exposure and it's a quite efficient way to do it in that way. Uh, and then thirdly... Uh, we will also use ETFs to reflect, um, in a way, a bottom-up view. So, for example, we've had uh, some exposure to um, sector-specific ETFs, whether it's the NASDAQ or um, some healthcare ETFs. Um, so there's a range of ways you can use ETFs to reflect on overarching asset allocation, but then also a view from a more, I guess, from a bottom-up perspective as well and how you want to tilt your portfolio One of the interesting to the second part of your 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 question there, um, you know, as as the the universes managed accounts have grown, ETFs have grown, um, implementation becomes a a bigger bigger consideration, Um, and particularly with ETFs, as you've had this proliferation of ETFs, um, they vary in terms of the volume, how big they are, the liquidity profile. Uh, and so forth. So, you know, as as you know, Lonsec has grown, for example, in in size. When we are making decisions around ETFs, there are more decisions to to, to be made. It's not just around the investment itself, but then it is going into those things like how big is the ETF? Uh, what's the what's the impact of the spread if we do a bigger trade on that on that ETF? And how do we manage that so that we ultimately get the best outcome for the client? And I think. I think as we see that continued growth uh, in managed accounts and ETFs as well, these implementation considerations are going to to become more and more important.
0: And so, Peter, as as, uh, an ETF issuer, um, how do you uh, respond to these types of issues that, that Lucas has just talked about?
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I first of all, I very much agree with uh, with Lucas's view, and and at, at their core, ETFs are portfolio building blocks, whether that's at a strategic or dynamic or tactical sort of uh, sort of level. Um, in terms of um, you know the the growth of ETFs and and managed accounts together, I mean, one thing that's worth um, worth remembering at all times is obviously that ETFs are just managed funds, like uh, like any other unlisted fund, and so when you look at the liquidity of an ETF versus a managed fund on a like-for-like basis, the ETF liquidity is always going to be equally as good as the unlisted managed fund, and it may actually at times be better by virtue of additional on-screen trading between uh, natural buyers and sellers. And so we think on that basis that ETFs um, you know, really are an optimum sort of vehicle for use within managed accounts. Um, but as the uh
0: total fund in managed accounts grows what are the issues that can give rise that that can arise then uh, when there are block trades for example to be executed that don't arise
2: when you've got 100 advisors each uh, each making their own independent uh, transaction yeah I mean that, that's also a good one toby so look in a nutshell if you're talking about something like ASX 200 or S&P 500 There's very little, if if any, I mean, you would say no um, liquidity issues in transacting large lines and block trades in those sorts of exposures. Um, As with any exposure, when you get down to um, uh, more niche um, uh, areas of exposure, um, emerging markets is a fairly standard part of many portfolios, but there's no doubt that emerging markets liquidity isn't as strong as S&P 500 liquidity, for example. So when you get into those areas, Um, when executing um, ETFs or or any other sort of fund vehicle, you know, you need to think about the liquidity profile and that would involve thinking about um, which markets are involved in that underlying exposure. Are those markets open during our time zone for all or part of the day? Um, And potentially thinking about, um, you know, which time of day you want to execute to maximise your exposure to open markets at any point in time. Um, So, you know, the more... um, uh niche and exposure gets um the more you need to be cognizant of um your execution and and the more detail you need to look into in that regard and that's something we help um you know buyers with a lot as part of the capital markets function
0: so lucas how much um are these sorts of considerations um important to you in in the management of
1: portfolios Look, they are increasingly important, and I think one of the you know we manage accounts are continually evolving, and I, I do I do think the area of implementation is one one piece of that puzzle, which is um, going to continue to evolve as we grow. Um, where it becomes a consideration is uh, to Peter's point, there are some some exposures where um, if you are trading a larger uh, a, a block, then you need to, that are potentially less liquid, <clears throat> they need to be managed more so. So. You Know one, one of the sort of views is well, you know, manage accounts implementation, you just send a spreadsheet or you just go on to a, a portal and, and and you're done. Um the reality is if you know, and we had this example where we worked very closely with the beta shares team with the with the relevant platforms where we were allocating to um uh emmg um the the uh, uh, emerging market exposure. And because of the size, um the size of our portfolio, we wanted to ensure that um that the client, the, at the end of the day, the client's not disadvantaged, the spread doesn't blow out and so forth. So it was a great exercise in terms of being able to work closely with beta shares in this example, work closely with the platform providers, obviously, there's stuff at our end, we had to uh, ensure and to ensure that we were able to coordinate that in a fashion and and that that trade would be able to be executed where there was very um little friction um uh for the end client and 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 these are things which i think as uh managed accounts mature they get larger they're they're going to become an increasing consideration uh when managing a,
2: a, a portfolio
0: so peter from from your side as the issuer what what's involved in that Coordination.
2: Yeah, from our side as the issuer, um, you know, we were um, uh, expecting an inflow into the fund, and so for us it was very important to make sure that that inflow came in on tight spreads and that sufficient liquidity was available. So the capital markets function that um, that I'm part of really revolves around accessing best spreads and liquidity for large trades in ETFs. So you know, we were making sure that the underlying platforms had received um, the order from. Um, the managed account provider, um, in this case, Lonsec, we were making sure that the platforms had liaised with their executing brokers. We'd made sure that those executing brokers had liaised with the market makers who were going to um, provide the liquidity in the units in our fund. Um, and so we worked um, to make sure that all, all of those groups uh, were on the same page and, uh, and ready to transact um, and to make sure that that happened within a time period of the day where best uh, liquidity was available, based on the underlying constituents that needed to be bought in several markets around the world, um, and so at a high level, you know, it's 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 um, you know, quite a simple process, but at the same time, it requires um, diligence and and uh, and so on through the process to make sure that it all all goes smoothly. And at the end of the day, we're able to achieve an excellent result. Just to um, uh,
1: and- just to give some context around that, the interesting thing about with that trade was that we we had a very finite um, time period I think I think Peter correct me if I'm wrong it was from 1 to 2 p.m on the day so we everyone had to align their ducks <laughs> basically to ensure that that trade went in uh, in time in that sort of time period which was you know it's, it, it, again it was a just uh, a good exercise in you know having those strong relationships across all parties and ensuring we could do that within that window
2: that's right and and to, to you know to, to run with that for just a moment you know um, between one and two pm was when the maximum number of um, markets were open that needed the, the maximum volume of underlying shares needed needed to be purchased in, and we were successful in meeting that time frame. You know, had that not been met, you know, the order still could have been executed, but um, you know, for a market maker, then they would have to take on additional risk because perhaps some of the markets might start closing after two pm. If those markets close, they can't execute the underlying purchase until the next day that creates additional risk for their book and that results in wider spreads that they charge um, for that exposure. So by making sure that we had our ducks aligned and that we all work collaboratively, we knew what time we had to get the order executed in order to achieve the best liquidity, the best spreads and the best execution for everyone involved, and we are able to do that.
0: So this sounds like a, a sort of a same-day completion. How, how would that compare, um, Lucas, for example, to trying to do the same sort of transaction through uh, unlisted managed funds?
1: Well, unlisted managed funds, we would obviously go through the same pro- process from our side, but in terms of, um, uh, you know, managing spreads and so forth, there's little control over that uh, in terms of, fr- from our side, in terms of how we would, you know, so the implementation process would be similar, Um uh, however, in terms of that, that would be on, done more so on the manager side themselves, um, uh, rather than sort of our direct involvement. But I guess with with the ETF structure, um, particularly, you know, if it's a, you know, in terms of if you look at the overall farming the ETF, um, you know, we were able to to sort of manage that more closely than we probably would with a fund. One of the
0: areas that interests me is 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 fixed interest investing and, and the use of ETFs um, to access fixed interest markets? Um, Peter, how do you think ETFs are placed for reaching into the various components of, of the fixed interest markets where you don't simply have you know fungible shares listed on an exchange?
2: Yeah, it's a great question Toby, because I mean as most um, listeners would be aware um, you know the majority of fixed income is is traded around the world in OTC markets and it tends to be traded with large sort of minimum sizes and so um, that creates um, some got me sorry I think I lost my headset for a second there uh, that creates some uh, um, potential uh, liquidity concerns um, you know relative to to a share trade I suppose and so um, you know, some of those things can be dealt with, At the index level. So, for example, we always think about trying to make sure all of our fixed income indices um, uh, hold the most liquid and largest fixed income securities in the market, that they're repo eligible securities with the RBA, for example, um, so that in crisis events, um, which is really when you want the defensive part of your portfolio to be liquid, that um, the liquidity is there and available to the greatest extent um, possible. So, you know, there's things to consider in terms of index construction, but just in terms of ETFs themselves, um, you know, one of the other things we saw during crisis periods like COVID um, was that the liquidity in the underlying bonds actually dried up um, quite a lot. The major buyers of bonds, which are often in Australia, the big four banks, um, just weren't bidding. So if you wanted to sell a bond exposure, you know, it was very, very challenging regardless of the um, implementation vehicle. But ETFs being a listed security, um, you know, we were able to still see some volume traded between natural buyers and sellers. And that was even more so the case in the US market where um, you know, the, the underlying junk bond market um, failed to trade at all. Um, but the ETF became the go-to source of liquidity as natural buyers and sellers look to exchange units in, in junk bond ETFs um, and source liquidity from each other. Um, and so I think that's, uh, that's one way that ETFs have certainly boosted the liquidity of fixed income as an asset class in, in aggregate.
0: Because um, in, in, your, in the fixed interest part of your portfolios, um, how do these sorts of considerations kind of play, uh, play into your thinking about appropriate vehicles?
1: Yeah, fixed int- uh, uh, if we look at the listed space or the broader ETF market, I mean, I think fixed income is, is more difficult. Um, from a in terms of constructing a, a holistic portfolio. Um, so um, in terms of sort of your more vanilla exposures, whether it's guppy bonds and so forth, you know, that's no issue there. Um, I guess it's more if you're looking at, you know, some sectors, w- whether it's uh, RMBS or some of you the know, more relative value type strategies, those sort of strategies are much more difficult to uh, package as an ETF or they're not available as ETFs in some instances, so the, the the universe is fairly small, um, so you've got less to choose from, uh, and then some of the exchanges themselves, or the AS you know, there's some products out there that are listed on CHI-X, for example, but not on the ASX and so forth. So, you know, I think those things will resolve themselves, and we will see more more choice. But it's probably fair to say that today you can construct a portfolio. I, I think that that's, but in terms of the choice and the uh, I guess the 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 building blocks that you get to choose from, it's it's more limited compared to the uh, unlisted fund space at the moment.
0: Right. Well, look. Let's um, let's wrap up uh, this um, podcast then by talking about you know one of the final issues around implementation, which which we discussed a little earlier, um, which is w- when when a portfolio manager like Lucas wants to switch from. One ETF to another in a in a similar market, and the way in which the issuers of those ETFs can can facilitate that, um, the way in which ETFs can become a more efficient part of portfolio rebalancing. Peter, what 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 you're thinking about
2: about that? Yeah, look, I think that's something that um, you know can be utilised more um, by the market to achieve more efficient um, outcomes. Um, first of all, I'll give an example of a switch between two. Um, Exposures that aren't similar um, and don't have efficiency benefits, and then I'll show one that does, and I, hopefully that'll explain to to, to um, listeners how they can best uh, achieve best outcomes. You know, if you were going to move from, for argument's sake, like, um, you know, US equities into Aussie equities, and you were selling um, a US equity ETF, um, the market maker would buy that ETF back, and they would sell all of the underlying shares into the market you would then buy from them the Aussie ETF and they would have to buy all the underlying shares in the market. So they have to go in and transact a sale of the underlying shares on one side and a purchase of the underlying shares on another. But if a manager is looking to switch between two similar ETFs, for example, two broad market Australian ETFs, um, then the market makers sitting in in the middle of that transaction can buy one ETF um, back from uh, the investor and redeem that ETF with the issuer for the underlying share basket. And then they take that share basket that they receive and they use that basket to create units in the new ETF. And as such, um, it, doesn't, it means that the market maker is not required to actually go in and transact the underlying share basket um, on the ASX, for example. Um, and that creates a really big spread efficiency for the for the uh, market maker, and therefore those sorts of switches can be priced at incredibly tight spreads to the benefit of the underlying um, investor. Um, and so that's something that we we do see people using, but something that you know for large scale transactions between similar ETFs, I think there's a lot more scope for that to grow in the Aussie market from where it stands currently.
0: And how does the um how does the investor kind of experience that uh, benefit from the tighter spreads?
2: Look, um, you know, in those sorts of trades, normally they would be priced um, against the closing nav of the each of the funds. And so they would tend to be transacted um, at close on the Aussie market, for example. Um, and so, you know, if uh, if they were in a normal circumstance going to, um receive um nav minus um, three basis points um you know for for the sale and um, pay nav plus three basis points for the purchase you may be able to cut that spread you know in half or uh, to by a third to a third i should say um, of what it might otherwise have been um, because that manager is simply util- making more efficient utilization of the the underlying basket of shares um, and so that can create some some really good um, efficiencies uh, for for investors making switches between similar ETFs, subject to them being of sufficient size.
0: Right. Well, it's really um, in a completely different league from the buy-sell spreads on unlisted funds at uh, 25 to 50 points each way, isn't it? Um, Look, Lucas, Peter, thanks very much for your time today. I've certainly learned a lot about the the mechanics and the intricacies of ETF trading. And to those of you who've listened, thanks very much for, uh, for listening to us today, and we look forward to you joining further independent thought podcasts. Thanks.